Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Uh, hello, and welcome to episode 310 of The Freelancer Show. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, working with recruiters as a freelancer. Uh, today on the panel, I'm Jeremy Green, and joining me is Eric Dietrich. Hello, everybody. Uh, so, Eric, you want to kick us off a little bit? So, I run a content agency for software developers called Hit Subscribe. And what this is, is it's we do blogging for dev tools companies. And so all of our authors are software developers, many of whom are freelance. And so there are these you know lively discussions that happen around all things freelance and software development in there. And there's a topic coming up that had to do specifically with how to deal with a recruiter. Uh, but this gave me a broader idea for something to talk about, which is when you're a software developer working as W2 employee, which I was for years and years, you get into kind of a... Um, a pattern that I think a lot of people, especially the software developers listening, can relate to, which is just a way of interacting with the recruiters. They sort of carpet bomb you with emails, and <laughs> if any of them sound interesting, you respond, um, and you get pretty picky about that. So I thought it might be interesting to talk about, once you make the jump to being off on your own, how your relationship with recruiters might change, um, how you can leverage them, and just kind of you know talk through this topic, like what what is the world of recruiting and interacting with recruiters like for a software developer? So um, yeah. do you have, uh, I'll stop talking here. Do you have any uh, initial thoughts uh, on this topic? Um, I mean, I, I don't know that it changes drastically from kind of your standard way of working with them. If you're used to that uh, as a W2 employee, I think the biggest change is probably going to be many recruiters are specifically looking for full-time employees Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's often because the people that they are recruiting on behalf of are specifically looking for full-time employees. Uh, that doesn't always necessarily mean that there's not an opening to get a contract deal or, you know, a freelance or a consulting deal through a recruiter, but it's not going to be their kind of preferred mode of working. And so it's going to make things a little bit more difficult than it might be, uh, if you're just looking for a full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that was the first thing I was going to say. Like one of the first things I noticed when I was off on my own was all the same recruiters that used to love talking to me. Uh, well, I shouldn't say all, but almost all the same <laughs> recruiters that used to love talking to me as a prospective employee, when I would come back to them and say, hey, I'm off on my own now. I'm not interested in W-2 positions. I would say, 80, 90%, whatever, just kind of like went away and never came back. And it was almost like you were dead to them. Uh, that was my experience maybe about five years ago. But then I did find there were a few who just kind of seamlessly pivoted and said, okay, we also do um, we also do placement for specifically um, freelancers mm -hmm. or maybe staff augmentation. Mm -hmm. um, so I think my experience, and I'm curious if this was your experience too, is that there's a set of recruiters that specialize in W2 employment. That's all they want to do. And if you are no longer 
something that they can sell <laughs> to put it mm-hmm. sort of bluntly uh, that they almost kind of like lose your number and, and you fall out of the Rolodex or maybe they just kind of keep spamming you with template emails and and that's it. Um, did you have an experience like that or was it different for you? Uh, yeah, I think that's largely accurate. I think that there are definitely ones that really specialize in W2 and if they feel that they're not going to be able to place you in a W2 role that they don't see as being worth their time to to try to keep up with you and you know, pitch you on things that even might be a good fit. Um, and, you know, and, and that's fine. I think that's good. I think that that works well for everybody because if they know that they're looking for W2 people and you don't want to be a W2 person again, uh, then, you know, it just saves everybody's time and that's a good outcome. Um, I, I have also by the same token run into a few recruiters that, uh, kind of don't seem to listen very well <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that continually pitch me for jobs that I don't have the skills for that are full-time jobs. Even after I've told them that I would, you know, I'm only looking for uh, contract and remote uh, opportunities. Um, and, you know, so those I generally have auto filtered into my trash. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But then, like you said, there are definitely recruiters that, work not only the w2 side of things but specifically do placements for staff augmentation contract freelance type gigs uh and those those people can be very good to work with and they'll you know often come have a a really pretty strong stream of leads uh that they can you know put you in contact with um the kind of one of the downsides of working with a recruiter is you're often insulated from the economic buyer, which we kind of talk about on the show with some frequency. Uh, you know, that's the person that really gets to make the decision, knows what what it is that they're looking for and what they want and what they can spend. Uh, and with the recruiter, you know, the recruiter is a middleman in that transaction. Uh, and oftentimes really won't even want you to talk to the the real buyer uh, until very, very late in the process, if at all. Mm. Um, and so that can be, that can be a little bit challenging. That's not always the case, but it's often the case that they, you know, they kind of see it as giving up the lead if they let you talk to them directly, uh, without them being at least involved in the initial stages of setting things up. Um, that is an interesting point because if I think about W2 work, if you're the average software developer, I don't know how often the average W2 developer these days changes jobs every two, three years, I would guess, then this is a pretty transactional thing. So the recruiters are looking to place, they're sending out email blasts, and every two to three years, you kind of respond to whatever, you pick the best of your options, and then that's it, you're set for a while. But if you're a freelancer, if you're on your own, you're really looking for relationships, and so you want relationships with buyers kind of at all stages. You want to be developing your own um, acquisition funnel. And so it does seem like a recruiter could potentially get in the way of that. I mean, if they place you initially, um, and then you sign back on with that um, client for repeat business. I imagine that's okay. I uh, Full disclosure, I've never um, been placed in any freelance capacity through a recruiter. Um, so I can't speak exactly to how that works. I do know uh, for context how it works from the uh, company side, because in a past life as a CIO, um, I worked with recruiters to hire software developers. 
So typically there, um, it's something like 15 to 20% of the first year's uh, salary for the developer that you pay as a fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm assuming in the freelance world, there's a similar kind of finder's fee type thing, a similar model. But I don't know if they would um, try to structure it so that they'd get some cut of the uh, client re-upping with you um, for what it's worth. And I would try to avoid a relationship like that personally. And do you have any experience with uh, with how that works on the on the free agent side? Uh, I can't really say that I know that much about how it works on their side. Um, the one I, I've had only one successful placement through a recruiter as a freelancer. Um, but that one has turned out to be very successful. It was a, uh, it was a recruiter named mirror placement that, uh, specializes in placing Ruby on rails developers. Uh, and they had a client that was looking for a very specific set of skills uh, around Ruby and OAuth and Ember. And I had given a conference talk about exactly that uh, at RailsConf a few years ago. And so then uh, when this recruiter was working with their client uh, to find these this combination of skills, uh, they came across me via my conference talk uh, and got in touch uh, the client was actually looking for a full-time employee, uh, and I just, you know, made it very clear that I really wasn't that interested in a full-time opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I told them that I would certainly consider a, you know, if they wanted to make an offer for a full-time, I would consider it, but that it would have to be extraordinarily good uh, for me to become a full-time employee again and go back to a W two. <laughs> So with you know with that very much out in the open from the from the get go, uh, they did put me in touch with the client. I talked with them. Uh, we agreed to do uh, I think it was a six or eight week kind of intro project um, to basically answer all of their main questions around how do you do Rails and OAuth and Ember together and get all these things kind of working. Um, and then at the end of that uh, intro project. Uh, the client asked if I could, they, they asked again, basically, Hey, can, can we just hire you? And will you be an employee? And I, we again kind of went around the dance of, well, no, not really. I don't, I don't want to be an employee. And, you know, if you want to make a, an offer, that's going to get my attention, then sure. You, you know, let's try. Um, and after several rounds of kind of going back and forth on stuff, uh, we just landed at, you know, I told him, Hey, I would love to have you guys as an anchor client. Like, you know, mm. you'll, you'll get the bulk of my time. Uh, you know, I, the bulk of my effort, but I still do need to have time to work on my freelancing business to work for other clients. You know, I have these, uh, SAS projects that I'm working on that I need to have time to do. Uh, but I am open to the idea of, you know, working for you, working with you guys long-term, uh, but in a contractor capacity and not as a full-timer. That's interesting. So if I may yeah. rod a little at this, because I imagine listeners would find this interesting the way that I do. Um, there was this initial introduction from the recruiter. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that the recruiter, if I had to guess, the recruiter probably took a percentage from your client of your initial contracts fee. When you signed on with this client? Did you do it on your paper? And then did you do subsequent engagements on your paper or do those continue to run through the recruiter? 
Uh, that is a good question. Yeah, I believe that all of them were my contracts and MSAs. Okay. And then, but yeah, the, the, I think the, the recruiter just basically got a, a copy of the, the MSA and, you know, invoicing structure that we agreed on. And then, yeah, I assume that they then charged some percentage of that to the end client uh, for having placed me there. And I honestly don't know what happened after that six or eight week project uh, where we finally came to a longer term deal. I honestly don't know uh, if if Mirror took a fee after that or not. It'll be interesting to know because mm-hmm. uh, I... Uh, it's also a blind spot for me. I know how it works in the W-2 world. The recruiter typically, like I said, there's this 15 to 20% cut of the first year's salary for the placed employee that they take. And then there's it's subject to certain caveats, like the person has to last, I think it's like six months. Um, yep. So the recruiters will get back the fee if it doesn't work out, which I'm assuming is also true for contractors, uh, freelancers. So I guess if I'm at the most basic level, for anybody listening, if you're used to, if you're about to make the jump to the freelance world, um, understand that I would say, <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeremy, or if, if you have counter experience, but there are basically three types of recruiter. And as a, a soon to be former W2 employee, you're used to one, which is the most common. That's the W2 recruiter. But then there's, I think, two kinds of free agent ish recruiters. There's the one that was like the one uh, that worked with you, who is going to place, you know, true like freelancers, contractors. And then there's kind of this hybrid model, which I think Robert Half maybe en- um, encompasses best, where they're doing pure staff augmentation and they're a matchmaking firm, but mm-hmm. you go and Robert Half pays your contracts on behalf of the client. Hmm. Um, yep. So I would say under, if you understand that there are those three types of recruiters, then depending on what sort of work you're looking for, you can go and find those or at least ask the recruiters you're talking to up front what types of gigs they place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much accurate. Um, though I, I guess now I kind of have another experience that isn't necessarily a classical recruiter, but it was it kind of turned out to be functionally close. Um, one time, I don't know, four or five years ago, uh, when I was, um, really just kind of getting into being a solo freelancer, uh, one of the ways that I would look for opportunities was basically just trolling job boards, uh, you know, GitHub jobs, stack overflow careers, that kind of stuff. Um, and on one of those, I did find a posting that was specifically looking for a contract developer uh, that I applied to and uh, it, it finally worked out and I was placed. Um, but the the listing was actually put up by really a, an organization that's closer to an agency than a normal recruiter. Um, mm. And I started working on the gig basically as a subcontractor through this agency working for the, the end client uh, and did that for, I don't know, I think the original, the original length of the engagement was I think three or four months. And then uh, at the end of that time, the client wanted to re up and I did another stint of three or four months through that same agency. uh, And then the client wanted to re up a, another time. And at that point, the agency kind of pulled a, 
somewhat unorthodox move and said, you know, we don't, we don't need to be in the middle of this relationship anymore. Why don't you just hire Jeremy directly and wow, and we'll be out of it. We're not adding any value here, uh, which really kind of floored me. I, I was really <laughs> surprised about that. Um, but that then did, you know, kind of turn out to work out well for both me and the client because we agreed to kind of split the difference on what they had been paying the agency versus what the agency had been paying me. Uh, so they right. got to pay a little bit less and I got to make a little bit more. Um, and that worked out well, but it, you know, it's not really your classic recruiter setup. It was kind of more of a subcontract through an agency, but in some ways feels similar to working with a recruiter. I can see that I've actually subcontracted before too, either in uh, white label capacity, which for anyone listening, this is where somebody you bring someone in like some company, let's say an agency brings you in as a subcontractor. But as far as the client is concerned, you might as well be an employee or associated with them. Mm -hmm. And then I've also subcontracted in, I guess, I don't know what the opposite of white label is, but where <laughs> it's clear that there are two separate entities that, you know, it's like the general contractor yeah. uh, contractor relationship. Um, that is another angle that you have, but the, the, what you're describing there is refreshingly ethical for them to say, we're not adding any value, but to be a middleman. Cause I've been on the opposite side of that where I've subcontracted for someone who did nothing but add complexity in exchange for extracting a margin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody that only increases communication overhead and uh, wants to be paid for that. Yeah. And so for what it's worth, uh, I've also been on the flip side of that too. My goodness, I've been in a lot of positions in this career. I've had, but um <laughs> I have white labeled things through subcontractors and I'm always very sensitive to keep reevaluating whether um, I'm adding anything except being the middleman. And, and if I'm not uh, always also making that introduction. So it is out there, I guess, but less common. And yeah. it's interesting to think, you know, that isn't a traditional recruitment arrangement, but it is a good way to source business. I'm just wondering mm -hmm. if there is a way to kind of hook on with agencies that are open to, yeah, I don't even know who would like place something like that to find agencies that are open to subcontracting. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I had another question I had like floated to this slack that if anybody had like interesting questions on the subject um, and I got one here, which is, has anyone had success flipping a full-time offer into a contract? And is this worth trying? So to me, this reads like, you go through as if you were applying for a W-2 job, you interview, you get an offer letter, and then you sort of turn it down or can accept it on contingency, uh, but say you want to do it as a contract. I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? I don't think I would try to do it, at least not the way that you just described, but it's very similar to what I've done with uh, the client that I have through the mirror placement agency, where they, you know, we're looking to hire uh, a full-time employee and I just made it, you know, very clear from the get-go that, look, I, you're going to have a very hard time convincing me to sign on as a W-2, but I am interested in working with you on a contract basis. And I am interested in continuing the discussion. If you're comfortable continuing the discussion, knowing that I'm not that interested in a W-2. Like I would want to have that out front very early in the process um, because I don't, you know, I don't want to 
kind of lead somebody on and let them continue the the conversation under some assumptions that may not turn out to be true. Uh, yeah. So you know, in in that sense, I I have had luck basically pivoting a, a full time offer into a contract, but it was kind of you know from the get go. I let them know, you know, if you want to think of how you're going to structure your offer in terms of a full-time offer, you know, then I think we can kind of use that as a starting point and then make some adjustments to make it work as a, as a long-term contract. But I definitely didn't kind of wait till the end until I had an offer in hand and then spring it on them and say, Oh, okay. Now that I know that you want to hire me, let's talk about something different. Um, yeah. You know, I I wouldn't feel comfortable with that, and I don't think it would leave a very good impression, and would really honestly probably make it harder to make things work out. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash freelancers. I am 100% with you. I would... So to, to echo that sentiment, I consider it to be sort of bad faith to mm-hmm. go through um, a company's entire W-2 uh, employee acquisition process under the pretense that you are looking for a full-time job offer and then to kind of do a gotcha switcheroo at the last moment. Yeah. Um, and from an employer's perspective, I'll, I'll tell you why it's for a variety of reasons. As somebody who's doing some hiring, it might be that I am only allowed to hire a staff employee. So there are some organizations that could, you know, say, oh, okay, you know, we'll be flexible and we will do, um, we'll hire a contractor. But for a variety of reasons, whether it's budget, um, standard company process, or even like labor laws in your state, it mm-hmm. might literally not be possible for them to make you that contract offer. Yep. And if that's the case, you've completely wasted their time. And so you've kind of made an enemy. Yep. Yep. Um, if I think about where I've had luck, like uh, th- this is a little bit nuanced. Um, if you have a W-2 em- a recruiter that wants to place W-2 employees, they are they are dialing for dollars and sending out typically, you know, 500 form emails. And so if you reply with anything other than your resume and whatever they want, they'll probably just <laughs> ignore you. If you go and say, sure, I'm interested in this job, I have no real problem with sort of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I guess, telling a white lie to the recruiter or, you know, doing what you need to do to get a conversation with the eventual client. But as soon as you're talking to that client, I would, I would from the very get go make your intentions clear to say like, and you could be cagey in the recruiter response like, oh, I'm interested in that company. Can I? Yeah, let's do a conversation. And then maybe on your phone screen you say like, I, I took this because I'm really interested in doing work for you. But full disclosure, um, I'm not looking for salaried positions unless you blew me away with an offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't. What do you think? That that seems like a nice happy medium to me. Yeah, I I think that seems reasonable. Um, I probably wouldn't make that kind of my standard practice um, yeah. for every offer, but, or, you know, every potential opportunity. Uh, but if there was one that looked particularly interesting because I really wanted to work for that company or it was in a, you know, in a 
area of exploration that I wanted to get into or something along those lines. Um, you know, I don't think I would feel too terrible about telling the the recruiter, Hey, I, I would like to learn more about this. Uh, and then once in front of the client, you know, from the, from word one, let them know, Hey, I really would like to work with you guys in a contract capacity and not so much W2. Uh, so if that's acceptable to you guys, let's continue this conversation. And if it's not, then I'm sorry if I wasted your time. Um, yeah. So I think, um, I'd like to touch on something you said there briefly too, that, um, or I guess implied, which is I wouldn't make this your standard way to try to get gigs Yeah, and setting aside even the ethics, this is going to be a very low, um, mm -hmm. success play. Like you, if you're mining through lots of companies that are specifically looking for W2 employees in the hopes that you can flip the narrative to being a contractor hire, like I just wouldn't do that. It's, yeah, it's it's not going to have a high success rate. So I think that's a great point. If you really see an opportunity and this is uh, a way to get in the door, then maybe. But um, I think at the very least, you're better off going with the placement agencies or the freelance uh, type recruiters. And then, frankly, on, on a longer timeline, if it were me, I wouldn't really want um, what you're doing when you do this is you're relying on a recruiter to, in essence, be your marketing and sales funnel, which is a nice option when you're just getting started, but it's not, it's a long-term crutch. Like you want your own acquisition process that doesn't involve people who are working for the clients. Yep. I agree with that hundred percent. It's a possibly available avenue, but is certainly not the avenue of least resistance and is not going to be your, you know, the most, uh, not going to pay off as often as you might like it to. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to the, there was sort of an arc as to how I would deal with recruiters. When I was first off on my own, I would actually respond to almost all of them and say, I mean, I didn't seek them out, but I would write back and say, well, you know, I appreciate you reaching out to me, but um, I'm really looking for consulting or contracting gigs. Um, and the response to that, by and large, was to just ignore me. Some would kind of put me in the Rolodex, and and some of those would even start reaching out and saying, hey, I remember you said you were looking for a contract. You know, I've got this $80 an hour, just three-month term thing going on. So that was cool. Um, eventually, because of the low success rate that we've been talking about, I pretty much stopped bothering to respond to W-2 placement recruiters at all and would unsubscribe from their list because it was just not worth the time I spent dealing with it. Um, and then eventually I just kind of stopped talking to recruiters altogether, except there are a couple that uh, that I, I almost have like a friendly relationship with because like I enlisted them when I was hiring and I think years ago they placed me, but that's more of a let's keep in touch every now and then. So Mm -hmm. And eventually, I think on people's arcs, you kind of get away from that through a mix of having current and former clients. Like there's no better way to recruit work than to go to your past clients and see if there's anything they need. Yeah. Um, so you just build up some momentum where you're not really doing these like blind dates anymore, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned in the hourly rate there kind of makes me realize that we should mention that, you know, this can going through recruiters can certainly be good kind of in your early days, but at some point you will hopefully kind of quote unquote grow out of that uh, to where you're going to be looking for rates and 
maybe even are looking to be specialized in a way that uh, a recruiter really isn't going to kind of be able to facilitate very easily. Um, mm. You know, I've, I've talked to several recruiters more recently that have, you know, said, I do have contract offers coming across. Uh, and then when we got down to, okay, you know, what sort of rate am I going to be looking for from them for something to make sense? Uh, then we discovered pretty quickly, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, that recruiter's not ever going to be able to, to help me because they're looking for just, you know, a, a tier below kind of where I'm looking to pick up jobs at this point. Yeah, that's a an excellent point. The <clears throat> If I think back, and it's probably been three, four years since I've gotten emails like this, but the most, the highest rate I can ever remember a recruiter that was doing freelancer placement or contractor placement, um, the highest rate I remember was probably in the 90 to $100 an hour range. And that was for placement at um, like high frequency trading firms in Chicago um, or maybe New York that are going to, you know, pay their salaried people a lot of money. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm trying to, I mean, maybe it's changed since then, but like pretty quickly when you develop, um, you know, a practice and you're in demand, you're going to be into the three figures an hour bill rate. And so you just relatively soon get beyond um, uh, what a recruiter is going to reasonably be able to negotiate for you. Mm -hmm. And absolutely to the specialization point, like it's been a lot of time, you know, I have, I do more than anything kind of like value priced or fixed quote or retainer type consulting arrangements um, when I still consult these days. And if I think about that, I wouldn't even begin to know what to tell a recruiter. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't even know how I would enlist such a person to matchmake on my behalf. They just, it becomes nonsense after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their, their business model just fundamentally doesn't really allow for that. And they would be like pulling teeth to try to, do a value priced project through a recruiter. Uh, I could see heads exploding. I mean, it's so for you listening, like if you're just kind of thinking about going into freelancing or you're just getting started freelancing, um, working with a recruiter kind of creates a semi, uh, how do I put this? It's almost like a pseudo employment kind of role. They do what your bosses do, which is look at you as sort of this alphabet soup of, uh, I call them experience tuples. You know, I have this many years of this language and this many years of that language. And so even though you're not working for an employer, you're still being kind of placed as a generalist that can program. And maybe you start spe uh, specializing in a tech stack or something. But if you start to put together a product and service ladder, then quickly you're solving a problem for your buyer. And that gets really hard for a recruiter to place since recruiters, uh, their whole reason for existence is because matching all the different skill sets with all the different needs is very complicated. But if you come in and you say, you know, I help pizza companies put uh, websites up so that people can do online ordering, like recruiters don't know how to staff that. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, I think it's probably worthwhile to maintain and, you know, kind of cultivate a a relationship with one or two recruiters that you kind of know you can trust and that, and by trust, I, what I mean is uh, you know that they are not going to bring opportunities to you that are kind of below the floor of what you're looking for. Um, and maybe even, you know, you know that they're only going to bring really juicy opportunities to you that actually might be good enough to convince you that, Hmm, you know what? I, I don't really have to be a freelancer. I'm not, 
you know, devoted to the freelancer lifestyle or anything. It's just what I'm doing now and what's been working well. But wow, if, the, if I could get that opportunity, yeah, I would, I would consider going full time again. Uh, you know, that can be good just for, if nothing else, kind of helping keep you uh, tuned into like market rates for things that maybe are one step above kind of the level that you're operating at currently. And what hmm. I'm thinking of specifically is like, I have a recruiter friend that um, will occasionally say, Hey, there's a company locally that is looking for a new director of engineering, you know, uh, like kind of a, a step up into management or a C level uh, role. And occasionally he'll have something that I'll have to kind of look at and go, Oh, wow. That, hmm, that's interesting. And, you know, he, he occasionally gets me uh, interested enough that I'll go have a beer with him and we'll talk about one. But so far, he hasn't convinced me to jump ship. <laughs> yeah, I've had a similar experience now that I think about it. I didn't actively cultivate that. But what I found would happen is once I started to have not a ton of use for recruiters, if you just tell them you're not interested in the role or something like that, a lot of times they'll keep spamming you. But if you turn around and say, hey, yeah, I would contemplate um, taking a salary job, but I'd want $250,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Usually, if <laughs> that gets them to go away, because then they just cross you off as a possibility. <laughs> but as I was starting to figure that out, I would, you know, without... Um, being too nuts about it, I would start to think about like, okay, why don't I just tell this person what it would actually take to lure me back into the salaried world? And there were kind of like when I went freelance, there were a few of them that processed that and said, okay, I'll let you know if we have anything like that come up. And then a few of those would even actually come back and say, you know, I think you could be a fit for this director position. So that's a really good point to kind of keep your options open. Um, For me personally, I kind of let the ship sail about a year ago. I don't think that short of some uh, very much different decisions in life that I would go back into the W2 world. But up until recently, it would have been on the table for the absolute right thing. And you're right. Um, it, it's a great opportunity. And once you leave, I'm trying to think of the right like metaphor for this, but if you step out of W2 employment, you kind of like enter a different dimension where you can move more freely. Like if you're a salaried employee and you want to become a dev manager, you kind of have to work your way up through software engineer one through five and then architect and team lead and eventually management. But if you go off on your own as a freelancer, you are running a business and you are getting experience as to what it is to run a business and companies will be a lot more inclined to let you kind of skip some of those steps and re-enter in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I found that to be true. Uh, you know, not that I've, I've, tried to get back into W2, but I've, I've definitely found that just the companies knowing that you run a business and like, it, it's kind of shows some bona fides about being able to think about business requirements and not just tech, you know, for instance, as a software developer. Um, yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And if I think of, you know, if I were the CTO of a company and I were looking to hire dev managers, that would certainly enter my mind that, you know, you ipso facto, you have people that understand at least rudimentary uh, things like billing, invoicing, managing their books, um, marketing on some level. You know, there's a nice set of expertise you develop in running your own business. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any other particular like bullets or talking points myself. I don't know if you do or any last thoughts on the theme of recruiters with uh, freelancers. No, I don't think I've got any other kind of big top level points to make. Uh, I think I just reiterate that, you know, it 
can work out, especially if you can find um, the types of recruiters that do specialize in contract placements. Uh, that can be a pretty quality source of leads when you're early in your freelancing career and just starting out. Uh, but at some point, you'll probably get to the point that that's not really quite going to cut it. And so, you know, you don't want to, I think, develop your business in such a way that you're exclusively uh, reliant on recruiters for new work. Yeah, I think, you know, if I'm going to offer some parting advice, I would piggyback on that a bit to say that um, recruiters think of this when you're going off on your own as sort of a crutch to help you generate some initial business. But um, use it to sort of evaluate where you are. And I can't give you a timetable. It's going to vary for everybody. But at some point, kind of the way you would with an actual crutch of your ankle were injured, you should not need that anymore at some point. Otherwise, there's something wrong. So I would always look at recruiters as uh, something that's pretty tactical, but that you need to figure out how to replace in your acquisition strategy. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Well, all right, I guess that's we can probably leave that there uh, and go on to picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution, code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Yeah, I got a couple here. Since I talked about it, the the agency that I mentioned that I run, Hit Subscribe, um, uh, again, we do blogs for dev tools companies and um, pretty much, I guess, anybody that wants to um, have content that targets software developers. And we are growing and we could use writers. So if you think you might be interested in getting paid to write technical how-tos and that type of thing in the form of blog posts and uh, sometimes courses and video, um, I will include a link to where you can go and and um, apply to be a writer for us. So that's my first pick. Nice. And then the other thing, I don't think I've selected it before, though I've been enjoying it. For a couple of different businesses I've had um, for uh, CRM, which is I don't customer relation management or client relationships management. Mm-hmm. Uh, sales is my background, but basically <laughs> it's where you keep track of all your leads and um, prospects and such. Uh, HubSpot does one that is free and increasingly full featured, even for free. So HubSpot, I think, probably wants you to um, start tracking your sales stuff there so that you can start using their marketing automation and all that. But whether you do that or not, the free version of the CRM for keeping track of your leads um, is pretty intuitive and nice to use. So that is my other pick, and that's all I've got for this week. Nice. Uh, so my first pick, I'm going to uh, use the mirror replacement agency that I mentioned earlier that has actually placed me in a contract uh, freelancing role. Uh, they were good. Uh, Brian Mariani, I believe is his last name. Uh, is the guy that I've worked with there. He's Really nice guy, really sharp, uh, took good care of me. I have had nothing but good experience with them. I, I'll also mention Robert Half that you mentioned earlier. Uh, my local recruiter friend, uh, Lucas, is a is a recruiter for Robert Half. Uh, he runs a good team. They place a lot of people in 
permanent positions, but they do sometimes look out for contract stuff, uh, which can be useful. Um, and then for number three, I'm going to go completely off topic and choose uh, melodics.com. It's kind of a music training program that I've been using recently uh, that uh, I've been using to kind of get better at playing keyboard and uh, doing finger drums on kind of a set of MIDI pads. Uh, mm. Been having a lot of fun with that. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This was episode 310 of The Freelancer Show. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.